That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Rhino Podcast. Brought to you by Rhino Records. Interviews with your favorite artists and bands about the songs and albums you love. Here's your host, Rich Mahan. On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we talk with Tim Burgess, singer-songwriter and frontman for the legendary Manchester band, The Charlatans. Lori, it doesn't matter where you're going, baby. All that is important is that you've been dreaming lately. The whole world is there to discover if you need adventure, very carefully. Welcome back to the Rhino Podcast, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe, help us with a like and a rating. We appreciate it. There's more killer release announcements from rhino.com, including Dire Straits, the studio albums 1978 to 1991, available as both a six CD set and a newly recut eight LP collection. The studio album 78 to 91 features the albums Dire Straits, Communique, Making Movies, Love Over Gold, Brothers in Arms, and On Every Street. The Black Sabbath 5 LP Paranoid Super Deluxe Edition includes the original album in addition to a rare 1974 quad mix of the album folded down to stereo, plus two concerts from 1970 from Montreux and Brussels that are pressed on vinyl for the first time. The 5 LP set comes with a hardbound book with extensive liner notes featuring interviews with all four band members. Rare photos and memorabilia, a poster, as well as a replica of the tour book sold during the Paranoid Tour. Coltrane fans, this one's for you. John Coltrane Giant Steps 60th Anniversary Deluxe Edition. It's a newly remastered version of the jazz saxophonist's influential Atlantic Records debut, plus eight alternate takes, available as a double LP and as a double CD anniversary set. Pre-order the vinyl and get an exclusive and limited edition 7-inch vinyl single disc featuring alternate takes of Giant Steps and Nima. All of these titles and more are happening over at Rhino.com. Well, Tim Burgess, singer-songwriter and frontman for the legendary Manchester band The Charlatans, is our guest on this episode of the Rhino Podcast. Tim has a new solo record out entitled I Love the New Sky. It's his fifth solo record and has garnered rave reviews, including NME, who said it's an autobiographical butte that skips along to gorgeous melodies even as it charts heartbreak. We talk about I Love the New Sky as well as his group The Charlatans, the Manchester music scene, and New Order's Power, Corruption, and Lies. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? 
All right, all right, not too bad. Thanks, yeah, not too bad. Hanging out, hanging in. You're a busy guy, you know. A lot of people are just kind of kicking back during the pandemic, but you're <laughs> you're a go getter. Yeah, yeah. Let's just jump in with these Twitter parties you've been throwing almost every night. How did these come about? It began about 10 years ago, and, and I did Charlatan's Listening Parties, and I've done every album. And I've done them maybe three or four times each over the past 10 years. But when, you know, lockdown happened, I announced on Twitter that I was going to do uh, a listening party again for some friendly, and who thinks it's a great idea? One of the first people to say it was a good idea was... Alex Capranos from Franz Ferdinand, who said, you know, I love that album. It, it was a big deal for me. And at that moment, I just thought, well, it'd be great if you did one. And he said yes. And then Dave Roundtree <laughs> said he'd like to do one as well. And Bonehead from Oasis said that he'd like to do one. And all of a sudden, there was like a thing. And we had, you know, very quickly, we had a week's worth of listening parties. And after that, it was just it was sometimes five and I. Wow, so it just snowballed. Yeah. Yeah, right on, right on. Well, you did one back in April for New Order's album, deluxe edition of which is going to be coming out pretty soon, but Power, Corruption, and Lies. Yeah. I checked that out and got a feel for what the Twitter parties are like because I totally didn't know they were happening. I wasn't privy to it, but really cool stuff in there, especially there was one post that had a picture posted by Stephen Morris of Gilbert's programming scroll for his keyboard part. And <laughs> I thought that was really cool to see that and see how he so meticulously mapped out what he was going to program. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love seeing Stephen and Gillian and, and the way that they work together. And and, um, and it was, you know, a, a total thrill for them to do Power Corruption and Lies together and, you know, it's probably one of my favorite albums of all time. It's very often my favorite album of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the listening parties really encourage people to sort of like, and it's, it, it seems like such a safe space that people feel very open and show things that they wouldn't normally reveal to maybe a magazine. I don't, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it feels like that they thinking that it's, a, that it's a safe space. But yet, at the same time, still has a feeling of community, which is really cool. Absolutely. I, I think the community encourages them to show more, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Stephen, he really took the reins and without a doubt, one of my favourites of, of the whole, whole lot of them. And then, you know, he actually did Low Life a couple of weeks later and that was just as amazing. And he did Technique uh, last week and that, again, was just... He tells a good story. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Of course, it's getting a deluxe edition reissue right. and uh, all kinds of great extras going to be in that set. Really? For sure. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued to know because um, it, it's not very revealing on the on the post that went out today. So I, I'm, in, I'm excited to know what the extras are. Yeah, well, we'll. Uh, I think we've got a copy on the way to you when it's available. At least I saw something in an email about that. So keep your eyes. Wow. Closed. Amazing. That'd be very, that'd be very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think? I mean, this album was such a change from their first album after joy division, right? I mean, the first one was kind of, they were in mourning a little bit at the loss of their bandmate, you know, and then this one had a heavier use of program tracks and synthesizers and was a little bit more upbeat. Yeah, because of my age, actually really only got into them with this album. Blue Monday, Power Corruption Lies, I was 16 years old. Yeah. 
it was you know the perfect age for getting into what would become your favorite band and so i don't really know much apart from what i've read but yes it had all the elements of something that was thrillingly new and something that was kind of like what they'd picked up in the dance clubs of New York. From what, what I can gather, they just wanted to change everything and, and just and just really go for it. Blue Monday, you mentioned that. That single came out before the album's release. Yes. I'm from Los Angeles originally, and I know you lived there for a while. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> okay. K-Rock in Los Angeles played that record all the time, man, back then when it came out. I mean, it seemingly was on repeat. It was even bigger in the clubs. Yeah, well, it's like a seven-minute single. I mean, I, I heard it on the radio. I didn't really listen to that much radio, apart from maybe John Peel, you know, in the evenings. But uh, there's just a feeling around it, and, and it was a hit, and it, they were yeah. on top of the pops. And, and um, sometimes you don't have to hear a song all the time to know that it's a hit, and Blue Monday was, was just that. the album the emotion of your silent face and the and the kind yeah. of like amazing opener of age of consent and the, the, the amazing closer leave me alone just you know it, it was just an amazing record and i bought it from a, a shop we, uh, called woolworths in my hometown of northwich and uh, i remember buying it and looking at it and, th- and, and thinking oh there's there's no titles on it i know it's new order though from what i've seen and uh, there's no, <laughs> nothing on there and then and then i was thinking well this is it i know it's it but i didn't know for sure 100 i just felt that i knew you know. yeah right right so, right yeah I took it home and i was looking and the sort of like the uh, label was just like this thing that i had to keep turning around like that because it wasn't in a straight line it was in a yeah and I was thinking, right, okay, well, Blue Monday must be on the other side then. So it's not on it. This is it's just it's so, so confusing. And but you know, in such an amazing way, you know, very, very humorous, very artistic. I mean, even very like artistic. the way that they yeah. laid out the yeah. record, all the artwork and and the copy, yeah. the way it was put down, everything was artistic about it. Yes, it was very cool. Yeah. Ultraviolence, man, I love the tribal beat on that one. Yeah. Possible reference to Clockwork Orange there. Well, definitely in title, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've heard lots of, you know, unedited bootlegs through <laughs> through, the, through the years, you know, of like of how that record came together. And it was, you know, I think lots of playing in the studio or in the rehearsal rooms. And, um, you know, they just really hit on something with that sound and 586. And I think, like you said earlier, with the, with the sequences and, you know, the synths and stuff, they, they, they were just building a new building a new thing for themselves and for their future. And, you know, they kind of like, like you say, they left the past behind with this record.
Well, you mentioned your silent face. I mean, that song stands out to me on the record. It totally fits in with all the other songs, but it's so uniquely its own. What's yeah. it about that song that speaks to you? It's an emotion more than anything else. I was happily just listening to the radio uh, with my friend, Michael, and uh, it was John Peel, and we knew that he was playing some stuff from this album. And I was listening in, and he played something, and then Your Silent Face started, and it was just an, uh, uh, something that I'd never heard before in my life. I'd grew, grown up on punk music, you know, as a kid. I got into, like, the second generation of like, punk music, like Dead Kennedys, and, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and Exploit and bands like that yeah. and I was kind of quite happy listening to that kind of stuff but I knew about New Order and, and, and I was getting into it because of my age and then this song just like I'd never heard anything like it and it stayed with me forever so it's a timelessness about it it's unexplainable for me I mean the lyrics are fantastic um, monotone in a way but really melodic yeah like something that I'd never heard before thought that never changes remains a stupid lie never been quite the same No hearing or breathing No movement, no colour Just silence The rise and fall of shame Search that shall remain We asked you what you'd seen You said you didn't care Your band, The Charlatans, all 13 of your albums charted in the top 40 of the UK album charts, and three of them were number ones. So that's an amazing run. But yeah. you guys are from West Midlands, but you're frequently grouped genre-wise with the Manchester bands. Why do you think that is? Mm. It's, it's really difficult. I mean, I, well, it's not difficult because I was born in Manchester, um, and I was growing up in a place called Northwich, which is like the suburbs of, of Manchester, really. It's like 20, 20 miles away from the centre of town. And there's a, a record shop there uh, that all of the rest of the charlatans used to go to because it was a cool record shop. So, yes, they were from the Midlands, but we all met in a place called Northwich. Interesting. And the local, and the local town was Manchester, and that's where the buzz was happening. And and and, ever, and they saw me and, and, and thought, oh, we've got to get him into the band <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, that's really cutting a long story short yeah, uh, right. we, you know, we, we, we um, had a mutual appreciation of records from the 60s yeah uh, you know like the standells and uh chocolate yeah. watch band and yeah hell uh, yeah Bob brummels and, and and things like that and we were listening buying records on uh, like the bam crusoe label and all that kind of stuff but we were into what was going on at the same time as well, you know. You know, I mean, I, I've always been in It's a New Order, even though age, like, 20, I was listening to 60s music as well. It, you know, you just right. like music, don't you? So sure. It was a combination of everything. And the, the dance clubs, the Hacienda was really beginning to have a golden era. Yeah. How old were you when you started hitting the clubs? I started going to the Hacienda to watch live bands, you know, 17, 18, really. It was just open, really. And, um, Who would you catch there in the early days when you started going? Uh, Orange Juice, Death Cult. Before, so before they were the cult, they were called Death Cult. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, only for, only for one tour, I think. You know, so it's like Sudden Death Cult, then Death Cult, then 
the cult. Uh, <laughs> certain ratio, Bodine's, um, and yeah. a, a new order, you know, every time they played. Yeah. Wow. Right on. Right on. And that was, that, that was every, every Manchester gig was at the Hacienda. I used to go all the time, especially 1988, 1988, 1989. And then when the band took off, I didn't really go clubbing anymore because the band got really famous and we were just always playing live. So yeah, you were, night, you were busy. My Saturday night was taken up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And when you had a night off, you wanted a night off. You're like, yeah, exactly. So I would go a, a lot less frequently. Yeah, yeah. Did you get to play there? Oh, yeah, yeah. We played there once. I actually, only 1993 we played. There's a club down the road called The Boardwalk. And that's where a lot of the bands used to rehearse, but it was also a venue, like 300 capacity. We played there a couple of times before we kind of took off, but yeah. uh, had to end up only after we took off and came back to Manchester and we had to play it. It was amazing because Vinnie Riley was there uh, taking photographs and that, that, that made me very happy. There was also Factory Records and they were a huge part of that scene there. Of course, they had a ton of bands like Joy Division, New Order, Happy Mondays, James, uh, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark briefly. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. It's kind of a little bit of a chicken or the egg question. Yeah. Were they there to catch the fruit falling from the tree, or were they the farmer that planted the orchard? The, um, lots of those were farmer that plant, planted the orchard. Um, certainly, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, they were, I think, fact six or something like that, maybe, or I, I've probably got it completely wrong, but they were very early. And James, their first single was kind of like in the 70s, so that was about the same era maybe as blue monday or something like that okay so they were it was all kind of i don't know maybe early happy mondays kind of the time that 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 was where it was probably at its biggest i suppose so it was like new order eight maybe 89 ish yeah where everything on factory was just like amazing i've been collecting their records for a long time that was my thing really i buy everything that came out on factory everything that came out was that you know the Artwork was fantastic. The recordings were fantastic. Martin Hannett was a genius producer. Mm. Certain ratio, Section 25 with brilliant bands. Vinnie Riley, Jurati Collin, just amazing, you know. And then later with the Mondays and Railway Children and 52nd Street, Kondo Quango, just brilliant, brilliant records. They're just knocking it out of the park on a regular basis. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, Charlatans, you guys have had this long run. You got to have any plans to record again? No, not at the moment. Not at the moment. We had um, like five years. Of, we did two albums and an EP and toured the world twice. Wow. And um, that was after kind of like a five year of not working. So hiatus. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when we get together, it's, it's, it's important to feel like you've got something, you know, really great to offer the world, you know? Yeah. We're in contact all the time, you know, we've been, yeah. we've been Zooming. Well, let's talk about your new record. It's called I Love the New Sky. It's been out a couple of months. Yeah. It's your fifth solo record. You are a prolific musician, sir. <laughs> NME called it an autobiographical butte that skips along to gorgeous melodies even as it charts heartbreak. Great review by them, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, that, that is great. Um, uh, yes, I, the reviews have been fantastic. You know, it, I gave it to Bella Union. Uh, a record label owned by Simon Raymond from the Cocktail Twins. I gave him the record in uh, October last year, and it was planned to be released May 22nd this year. And then the coronavirus happened, and oh, you know, yeah. and uh, and there was a lockdown in March, 
And they said, well, we think we should still release it. What do you think? And it just seemed like we had to, you know, the, the, I can understand why people would have not wanted to, but to put it out during such a dark time, I, I felt it was such an optimistic album that people yes. would get some enjoyment out of it. And, uh, yeah. and you know, and I think it's been a, like a hit in the lockdown. And if, yeah. if, if uh, you know, and that's how I'm going to kind of always think of it. I um, think people have got a lot of love for it. The reviews are great. Got to do some cool videos. Yeah, I'm really happy, so. Well, I think that, you know, art is one of those things that gets people through tough times. So thank you for releasing it. I'm oh, sure it's helped numbers of people that you, you'll, you'll never even hear about. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right about, about art really kind of like helping people through such traumatic times. And we've never seen anything like this. It's, it's incredible. Insane, you know. Well, you recorded yeah. I Love the New Sky at Rockfield Studios in Wales, correct? <laughs> Yes, okay, let's talk about that place for a little bit. I mean, because <laughs> okay. the Charlatans recorded your 97 Platinum release, Telling Stories, and Dave Edmonds recorded I Hear You Knocking there in 1970, I found out. Yes, How cool did. is that? Yeah. Yeah, we used, to, we used to see Dave Edmonds all the time. Really? Yeah. I hear yeah, he's retired it, now. Has he, right? Yeah, wow. But, well, you know, great guy. He used to go to, uh, you know, the local sort of like bars and stuff like that, and we'd yeah. see him and you know Rockfield is like the centre of this quite small town called Monmouth but it attracted bands from all over the world and um, like Aussie and uh, yeah. Rush and um, Oasis and Sepultura and <laughs> yeah Queen um, you know and, wow. um, what is it about that studio that made you want to travel down there to record is it just super cool hang good vibe or what is it that you love about it? Okay, so so when we were first offered it as a studio, we didn't know anything about studios. So we were 21 years old, and it was like, yeah, all right, yeah, we'll go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but there's something just so amazing about the sound, and um, you know, and 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 the way that it operates, the people that run it, Kingsley um, still owns it now and still runs it. And he's 80 years old. And I, wow. I went there recently, as I say, you know, to, to record um, I Love the New Sky. Yeah. And he's still kind of like, you know, banging nails into, you know, things that need fixing and sort of like yeah. fixing the walls, going around and all doing that. He's just doing the maintenance and and uh, and just keeping it going. And and it's, yeah, it started out as a, I think, a pig farm or something like that. <laughs> 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 they had a pig farm with, with a mixing desk in the middle and, and Black Sabbath turned up and recorded and, you know, yeah, their right. first album. And there's elements of that still running through it. <laughs> it's, it's, warm, it's a hang. It's in the middle of nowhere, so you can you can get up to a little bit of mischief, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, which, you know, there's no one there to stop you. And it's kind of like... <laughs> You know, it's just so it's fun. It's uh, rural, and uh, it's with nature and a kind of family that keep you sane, but kind of like keep you amused as well. Yeah, right. Do they have a place for you to stay while you're there? Of course, yeah. yeah. It's residential. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. I love that kind of thing. It really just keeps yeah. you focused on the work, doesn't it? Because you don't have the distractions of outside stuff. I know, and you can start at ten in the morning and finish it. 10 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, it's a brilliant thing. 
this album, man, I really dug listening to this record, man. It's so cool. Empathy oh, for the Devil, the first track on there. I'm going to throw a, a weird little mishmash of stuff that I heard, maybe influences, certainly Beach Boys in that one. But I mean, the chorus on that one, love that song. Thank you. So Thank you. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the ones you made a video for too, right? It is, yeah. I made, I made it in Belgium with some guys from Paris. It was very cool you know they took they took it very literally the idea of the devil and we created this character you know or, you know there's a character who was kind of you know wrecking havoc um wherever he could and then it was like the also the story of the origin of what made him really bad yeah, um right uh, so you yeah, see yeah. it was the young devil and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right so you're able to actually have some empathy for him because you see his backstory yeah yes of course because you know his backstory empathy for the devil excuse me cool dreamy floaty section at the end and uh, forgive me if i mispronounce this title come to habitude oh come to habitude yes yes tell me about that outro on that song because it shifts into this really cool kind of psychedelic floaty section as it goes out of the song yeah i mean that i, I could i could imagine that being kind of thought of as our attempt at beach boys-esque kind of like um harmonies and yeah. um just the idea of uh, it just having, you know, a great outro section was something that really appealed. And a lot of things, you just you just try them out and see what happens and see how many ideas you can get. And on that one, it, it just became like layer upon layer upon layer and beautiful singing. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it was a choral experiment. You know, we, we like the idea of lots of voices doing powerful yeah, things. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> well it's a nice change at the end of the song i mean you're, i'm thinking like oh man that was a really good song and then all of a sudden you get this left yeah. turn you know what i mean it was really cool yeah well i mean it has elements to me that song of kind of like uh, i don't know ginsburg and maybe sparks yeah. and bit of, hopefully a bit of todd rundgren and hopefully a bit of zappa so. me that is such a cool song tell us about that one that just came so quick i mean it was the fastest song i've ever written you know as long as it is which was three minutes it took me about three minutes you know just yeah. it's just simplistic you know reference visual references to warhol's world or whatever in a very simplistic way i thought bubblegum nothing really sophisticated but it just changed a lot in the studio and and uh with the of arpeggiators and the modular synth, the kind of bubbles underneath it, they gave it a yeah. real New York, kind of like contemporary New York 
feel and also the kind of John Cale one finger piano thing yeah, going, running right. through the whole song I didn't really explain anything to the people that I was working with which was uh, Nick Floyd uh, Daniel O'Sullivan and Five Four Sandra they just I guess took some of it literally the Warhol thing and thought of Velvets and thought of New York yeah and, right yeah and I was just thinking Bubblegum Pop you know so all that maybe just made it what it is Riding around this city is about those songs that just come to you like that in three minutes or five minutes and sometimes they're the best ones isn't it crazy i know, I know. A lot, some people have said that that that's their favorite quite a few have said that and the, the, you know there's all these other songs that have so many elaborate elaborate parts to them and things and take take you ages and you know, yeah, and right. then, yeah so i don't know what it is it's it, but it's a brilliant thing because you know you're relaxed and you don't care i loved that feeling of not caring when I wrote that song. And it was brilliant, you know. But yeah. I love the feeling of caring so much about other songs. So it's it's all there to make up an album, I think. Yeah, it's all different sides of the same statue, so to speak. Yeah. 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 So yeah. speaking of writing, only took a year. Is that, yeah. I, I read that's about writer's block that you had. Is that correct? <laughs> well... It wasn't correct, really. Okay. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I wrote all the songs over the space of uh, of a year. You know, didn't really feel any kind of writer's block. Although, although I do get that occasionally, and then there's a breakthrough. But it only lasts weeks. You know, it's not it's not like years or anything like that. But it was referential. You know, I, I wanted it to be about things that had been going on in my life at that time, and it was a lot of things. You know these 12 songs were written over the space of a year, but there's obviously I wasn't doing it all the time. Right. I was just doing it when I could. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, some personal battles with, uh, you know, management and things like that, that took a long, long time to sort out. And then, and then there was the idea of writing a song, an album. And it's like, you know, only took a year, you know, and I just thought it was kind of, kind of a funny, okay. funny thing. And I know, and, and, you know, with, with a you know a lot of the songs they're kind of collage quite collagey and i managed to get a, a cure reference in there about pornography being my favorite cure i love that and, line man yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you know it was just like how can I, how can i make this work and you know it's like i felt like um you know uh, yeah i felt like one of the writers off the simpsons or something like that but how can I <laughs> it kind of like work you know yeah right <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you're a prolific writer, though. I mean, you got 13 albums with the Charlatans, five on your own. You're obviously, you know, you write a lot. How often do you write and how do you stay inspired and find something so you're not, you know, so you write something that you finish and you go, yeah, I like that. I, I write all the time or as often as I can. And, and I feel very uncomfortable unless unless I've got a few songs in my pocket, you know, mm -hmm. you, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've been struggling through, you know, this whole lockdown. I don't know why I need to write again. For a while, I was thinking, I'll let everyone else document these times. I've done my bit, you know. It's like I've put a record out and it's been a it's been a hit during lockdown. Why do I need to write again? But I just feel that I kind of, I'm driven to, to do that. But to be honest, I'm not feeling that inspired. So right. it's 
they're not flowing out at the moment. I think that's the times though as well. It's like there's a real kind of like yeah, heavy cloud. Know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody seems to be affected differently. Some people yeah. are just like, I'm going to force myself to like really learn the circle yeah. of fists or whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And then the yeah. other people are just like, well, I'm just going to take some time. I'm the same. I, I mean, I, 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 I know some of my friends who are musicians, they're, they're thriving, you know, with this, like, like you say, they're learning the piano, they're learning the violin now. And it's like, right. and it's like and they've, they've made an album. And, uh, but you know, I'm doing so many other things. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to just get a few songs in my pocket that I'm happy with. My famous story is um, that I was living with my mum and dad, and um, we had the instrumental for the only one I know. Okay. And I decided that I'd go and buy a packet of cigarettes. So I went for a walk uh, to the garage, which was about a mile away, okay. and I got halfway there. And the melody to The Only One I Know and the lyric came into my head. And I didn't have a dictaphone or a note paper or anything like that. Yeah. So I had to run back to my mum's house. Yeah, and, we didn't have phones uh, like this that you could like record it on. They yet, didn't. Right? No, they yeah, didn't. Yeah, yeah. And they had dic- dictaphones, but, you know, very often I didn't have batteries. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't have chargers and things like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Uh, but... Fortunately, there was batteries, and fortunately, there was a pen and a paper. And fortunately, my mum and dad hadn't gone out. So I sacrificed the cigarettes and wrote uh, The Only One I Know. And obviously, that was probably still one of our biggest hits. It's a great song. It's undeniable groove on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it just, it just works on lots of levels. And uh, th- I mean, those things still do happen. You know, um, oh, it comes in lots of different ways. When you don't expect it, when you don't expect it, is the best. I think. Yeah. I, 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 because it's such a gift. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sometimes you want you feel like I got to capture this before I forget it, before it evaporates and gets away from yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. The hardest one is when you're in the cinema. Because <laughs> you paid for the ticket, you don't want to walk <laughs> yeah. out. <laughs> you have to go as well because you know. Well, do you find a change of scenery helps you write? Because so you moved to Los Angeles in two thousand one. You lived there for about twelve years. Is that right? Yeah, twelve years. Yeah, twelve. Yeah, I found it very inspiring at the beginning, um, and then I kind of like started having too much of a good time, and <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and so that was like that was in um, ninety eight. Yeah. Two thousand. Then. Yeah, right on. Um, and you know, I, I enjoyed the writing there, but I I made a move back to London and kind of started a different kind of writing. I think, and it was a it was a completely kind of sober way of writing, which was very pure. I think, you know, and yeah. and, 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 I think, and I think the benefits what has come back has been really beneficial. Um, sort of getting into different kind of mind states is kind of quite an interesting way to experiment with writing and things like mm-hmm. that. But then I think from the purest thought 
completely uninebriated, I find now like the most rewarding. Braver, maybe, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Do you plan to tour I Love the New Sky after the pandemic lifts? Yeah, um, I've got some dates in April 2021. Yeah. I mean, I was really fortunate that I managed to play four shows in New York. So I was going to launch the album at South by Southwest. Okay. And before South by Southwest, there's a festival called uh, New Colossus in New York. And that still went ahead. So we had tickets and there were really great people who, who were organizing it. So we just all went and we'd been practicing. Yeah, and I right. to play. you were ready to go. So, you, yeah, we were chopping up yeah, a bit. So, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, so we knew that we weren't going to be going to South by, but um, we went and it was amazing. It was like, as far as I'm concerned, it was just like one of the most monumental kind of like times of my life. It was just wow. brilliant. Yeah. Well, I hope you get to I tour mean, it and I, I hope you come to Nashville so I can see you. Tim, thank you so much for talking with us today. Appreciate it. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. From my head to my toes, from my knees to my eyes Every time I watch the sky For these last few days, leave me alone But for these last few days, leave me alone Leave me alone Leave me alone The new Order of Power, Corruption, and Lies Definitive Edition is available for pre-order now. The collection includes an LP, two CDs, two DVDs, and a book. Features the album remastered for the first time from the original analog tape masters on LP and CD. The extras CD contains previously unreleased writing sessions from New Order's Manchester rehearsal rooms and has the 1982 John Peel session for the BBC. The DVDs capture New Order live during 1982 and 83 at the Hacienda that Tim was talking about and Kilkenny. The 1984 Play at Home Channel 4 TV documentary and other rare live and TV performances. And there's a beautiful 48-page hardback book of rare photos and essays. Thanks again to Tim Burgess for talking with us about all things Manchester, New Order, and his new record, I Love the New Sky. Folks, please hit that like button and subscribe and give us a rating if you would. It really helps. Thanks so much. Thanks very much for tuning in. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss the next Rhino podcast. Producer for Rhino Entertainment, John Hughes. Produced for Rhino Entertainment by Rich Mayhem Promotions. All rights reserved. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.